Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much. What a wonderful week, and especially the rain we've had yesterday, slow and steady and soaking and uh, lots of runoff as well. Thank you for that, Lord. We ask you to continue to provide us all that we need for our reservoirs, for our crops, and uh, for all of our cattle. We ask you, Lord, to be with us as we jump into Psalm 17. Guide us and help us, Lord. Give us hearts prepared and ready to hear and understand and to grow and Bless us as we enter this Advent season in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Psalm 17. Psalm 17. So grab a Bible if you've got one. Get real close to somebody who doesn't have one. Whatever you need to do. Bible apps. All right, so let me read Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Yahweh, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer for lips, from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come, let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man by the word of your lips. I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded. Uh, they have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in an ambush. Arise, O Yahweh! Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your by your sword, from men by your hand, O Yahweh, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. You, they are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And so keep your Bibles open there. I'm calling them, this one, the desire for vindication. And we'll get into some of that here in just a minute. Did anybody notice, just real quick, did anybody notice anything that connects this to the previous psalm? That connects because that keeps going on in these psalms. There's a, some mild connections. You think about hymn, our hymn books and how they're tied together thematically in sections throughout the, hymn, the hymnal, for example. So did you see any connections between Psalm 16 and Psalm 17? There are. I just noticed another one that I didn't see this week as I was working through this. So notice uh, when, so back in chapter 16, verse 7, when does his heart instruct him? In the nighttime, right? And so it's the word of the Lord gives me counsel, my heart instructs me at night. Notice chapter 17, verse 3, you have tried my heart, you have visited me when? By night, right? So there's one, that's an easy one. Uh, there's, another, there's a couple of others, one that I just saw is notice at the end of, verse, of chapter 16 of Psalm 16, 
You make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then look down at um, verse um, uh, verse 7. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek you from their adversaries. At your right hand, there's that right hand language. Um, and also the portion of life, when you get down to verse 13, from men of, who, of, of the world whose portion is in this life. Uh, it just goes on from there. But anyways, there's lots of little connections, and I'll point out the ones that I saw this week as we go through. So, All right, so desire for vindication. Here's, here's how the psalm basically breaks down. Verse 1 and 2, so I stayed with, you'll notice how I did this. Anyways, first request, verse 1 and 2, and then focus resolve, verses 3 through 5. The focus resolve, so it's like there's three major parts and then there's two minor parts or two parts that are subpoints underneath them and that's what you got going on here. First request and then focus resolve. The second asking, verses 6 through 9 and serious adversity. Do you see how I did that? Okay. Verses 10 through 12. And then final cry, verses 13 through 14. So that's basically, and then finally, uh, firm conviction, the last verse, verse 15. That's how the psalm basically breaks out, okay? Um, so before we dive too deep, we need to fathom a promise. So let's go to 1 John 3, okay? So we need to fathom a promise in 1 John 3 so we can appreciate David's perspective, okay? And I'll come back to this quotation in a minute. So let's go to 1 John 3. Somebody read for us verses 18 through 21. 1 John 3, 18 through 21. First John chapter 3, verse 18. No, no, no. We need, we need you. Verse 18. should begin with little children is what it should begin with. So what you have there is you have this promise, right? You have this promise we see here about um, doing what God says, knowing the truth, and having our hearts therefore reassured. So even when our hearts condemn us, we recognize that God is greater. Uh, He knows everything. And so if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and then it ties into prayer. The reason why I bring this up, because some people break out in willies when they read like Psalm 17, talks about, my righteousness or my, my just cause. And we think, well, nobody can say that but only Jesus. Well, that's true in the broader sense, and you've got to keep that in mind, but it's also the idea that in this situation, his cause is just. He didn't do wrong in this situation, whatever this situation was, okay? Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about, where you, you, you know you're a sinner, and yet you know that in this situation, you did the right things. Does that make sense? 
That's what you have going on here. You've got to keep that in mind. So Derek Kidner, in his little commentary on the Psalms, Psalm 17, says that David's piety is no pretense. That's a British spelling for pretense, by the way. If you ever want to be really highfalutin, make sure you put a C there instead of an S for pretense. His piety is no pretense. He therefore appeals to God to adjudicate accordingly, for his name needs to be cleared. He's done no wrong. He's basically saying he's done no wrong in this situation. Whatever the situation was, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. He has done no wrong in this situation, and therefore he's crying out for vindication. So let's cry for, for vindication. Just getting us to get that thought in our heads, okay? Because I actually had an elder one time who had problems praying some of the Psalms because they talk about my righteousness and so forth. And you've got to fathom what's actually happening there so you see why it is exactly right for us to pray those Psalms. Okay, any questions up to this point? Have I baffled everybody yet? Well, let me try. All right, so our first request, verses 1 and 2. A prayer of David, here are just cause, O Lord, O Yahweh, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer, from the lips, from lips free of deceit, from your presence, let my vindication come, let your eyes behold the right. So what is David's first request? Yeah, that God would hear his prayer, right? Very simple. That God would hear his prayer. Hear a just cause, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. He says it three different ways. That's his first request. Okay, hear my prayer. Okay, what a great place to start. When we're praying, especially when we're in desperate situations, there's nothing wrong with saying, dear God, hear me. We know that he does. We know that he's promised to hear his people. But it's right for us to ask him. Okay, hear me. Okay. So how does he develop his request? Yeah, there's no deceit here, right? Um, in fact, he knows, as we go through the Psalms, he, he, knows, he knows that God knows if he was being deceitful. Right, so he's being very, very honest. There's no deceitfulness in my lips, right? No, let's free of deceit. How else does how, how else does he develop his request? Yeah, it's a just cause. Okay, right. This is not something. This is not just a personal want. This is a just cause. Okay, rise up. I mean, think about if you've been. Um, Let's say that you had been accused and you knew it was wrong and they took you to court. How fitting to sit there and say, Lord, hear a just cause. Right? Okay? All right. Well, you can see more there as you go along. So in what way does David explain that his piety is without pretense? I'm kind of repeating Derek Kinder, but I spelled it in American. Pretense. How do you show that his piety is without pretense? And um, uh, Earl kind of mentioned it already. Give ear to the prayer uh, from lips free of deceit. Okay, would be exactly how, you, probably how you would say that. That's how you you begin to see that he's he's, ex he's showing his piety, but it's without pretense. He's not sitting there and saying, you know, hear me just because I'm the king, or hear me because I'm entitled to you to hear me. He says, hear me 
from lips free of deceit. I mean, he's just emphasizing that. Okay. All right. So I want you to notice a word that opens and closes this psalm, and we're going to look at a synonym. So verse 1, verse 15. It's translated differently in the ESV. I don't, it could be the same in other translations, New American Standard, NIV, whatever. But look at verse 1. Hear a just cause, attend, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to the prayer, my prayer from lips of, free of deceit. Verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. It's that Hebrew word, tzaddik, righteousness. Okay? So it's used both in verse 1. It's interesting. So the psalm is actually encased in righteousness. Verse 1, hear my righteousness, is what he's actually saying in the Hebrew. Hear my righteousness, my just cause. And then he ends, I will behold your face in righteousness. It's the exact same Hebrew word. The synonym is in verse 2. Anybody see the synonym? It's um, less active and more passive. Is that what your translation has? From your presence, let my... In verse 2? Vindication. Okay, I don't know what other translations have there, but... So, from your presence, um, let my vindication... Now, it's not the same Hebrew word. It's mitzpah. It's, the, it's a synonym of sadiq, of righteousness. But it's interesting that through this psalm, that that's the point of the whole psalm. Hear my righteousness, my righteous cause... Vindicate me, show, show, declare that I am righteous in this situation. And then he ends with his hope, as we'll get into, that he will... Oh, I guess it's time for class to end. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at my joke. Thank you. And so he ends with, I will see your face in righteousness. It's just, it's helpful. Unfortunately, in translations, I had an uh, Old Testament professor that used to say, men, translations are perilous. Right? So translations will trick you, trip you up because they don't always stay consistent. But it's helpful. So I just wanted to give that to you. It's helpful to see that this whole psalm is, is bookended by the thought of righteousness. Okay? All right. So there's his first request. Um, does David's first request give you any ideas regarding your own prayers? No? Yes. Remind, remind me your, your name again. Greg. Greg and it's uh, Gloria. Yes. Good. Oh, yeah. Right? Going out, yeah. And pushing for his own vindication, making it happen. Yeah. Good. Okay. What else? I mean, think, so this is, a, this is a question you need to ask as you're going through the Psalms. Does it give you any ideas regarding your own prayers? And you should be saying yes, and then we're going to say, well, how? What kind of ideas does it give you regarding your prayers? And that's what we're talking about.
Yeah. Right. Right, right. But there are times when you know you did the right thing and you got blamed for it. And so actually saying, vindicate my righteous cause. You, you realize, I didn't generate this, but this was the right thing to do. So that happens. Anybody ever had that happen when you did the right thing and then you got blamed for, yeah. Yeah, it happens. Okay. Moose, are you going to say something? Sure. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think also on the other side of this, if you if that was your prayer, then how many times have you said what I did was righteous and then it was later you went, no, I was lying to myself and I was lying to the Lord. And you realize you really didn't do something right righteously or didn't do it well. But knowing you're going to bring that to the Lord who, who's going to read, read you like a book, right? That helps as well. I mean, that's pretty potent also. And so very good. So let's move on. So focus resolve. It's in verses three through five. You've tried my heart, you've visited me by night, you've tested me, and you'll find nothing. So there it is, you've tested me. There's where he knows, God actually knows if he's lying or not. I have purposed my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man by the words of your lips. I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. You, uh, my feet have not slipped. So what's the connection between verses 3 through 5 and then Psalm 16? We've already... Uh, brought that up we actually brought that up a minute ago and so that's uh you've tried my heart and you visited me by night okay for example and you go back to chapter 16 and when is the lord so um i bless the lord who gives me counsel in the night also my liver says in the hebrew instructs me i still love that yeah my liver instructs me okay all right so it's in the night so there's that sense huh it, it is it is a very important organ Okay, um, any other connections you see between verses 3 through 5 and chapter 16, say verse 7? There's another one. Sure. Yep. Yep. So back in verse 7, who... Uh, what is the Lord doing in chapter 16, verse 7? He gives me counsel. When you get down here um, and you get down to verse 4, chapter 17, verse 4, what's going on? Yeah, with regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the way of the violent. So you're back to the counsel of the Lord guiding us. Do you see it? Okay. All right, good. So in which areas is David's integrity being displayed? As you look at verses 3 through 5, in what areas? 
So he starts, where does he start? Verse 3. Yeah. Yeah, so at the end of verse 3, his mouth, in the beginning of verse 3, his heart, so inward, his mouth. What else? Yeah, the steps. So inward, uh, vocally, and outward, right? So he's, he's pointing to all areas of his life and saying this integrity, I mean, I'm trying hard. This is, uh, you know, in all these areas, okay? I find it interesting, by the way, if you look at verse 4, with regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. With regard to the violent works of men, it's because of your counsel I've... I have evaded or avoided their works. And I don't know if that's on the receiving end, but specifically the way it's laid out in the living end, because he goes right into his walk, his steps, right? So by the word of your mouth, I've been able to avoid living a life like they're living. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Yes. So this is a trial scene in some ways, right? Here, a just cause. That tells you this is almost a trial scene. And so he's, he is using tri- some trial language. You've tried my heart. You've visited me by night. You've tested me. You've found nothing. You will find nothing, right? So you're the, you're the, you're the judge, and you're going to hear the case, and you will find nothing that I've done wrong in this regard. So it's, keep that trial. I mean, I'm not going to bring it up too much more, but that trial image is there. And so that's a very good, very good call. All right, so what, was, uh, how, what has David purposed and how does it fit with verse 1? What has he purposed? Not just not to sin. He's very specific. Yeah, I will not transgress with my mouth, right? My, that my mouth will not transgress. I'll not use my communication abilities to transgress. So how does that fit with verse 1? Absolutely, right. That's the connection. So give ear to, the prayer, to my prayer from lips free of deceit. I have purpose with that my mouth will not transgress. I think we need to remember, that's why James pours so much ink in James 3 on our communication abilities. They're important. And so we have to, we want to be a people of integrity in what we say and how we communicate and all the different forms we communicate as well as in other areas, okay? And so that's, is hugely important. All right. Uh, so look at, I already mentioned this, but I use, I'm using different words. So here's his areas of integrity, his vitals, his heart, his verbals, his mouth, his heeding. So he actually hears the word of the Lord. I purpose in my heart not to transgress. It's your word that I heard that avoided, helped me avoid the steps and hiking. <laughs> Sorry. I had to put them together that way. You've kept my steps from slipping, right? Do you like that? If nobody likes it, I like it, so it's cool. Vitals, verbals, heating, and hiking. In all these areas is his integrity showing, okay? So keep an eye out for the word steps here. Notice in verse 5, my steps have held fast to your paths, my feet have not slipped. Keep an eye on that when we move further on because it's going to come back up and it's going to come back in a different direction, okay? So I'm just alerting you to that, okay? Any questions or anything up to this point? 
All right, so um, Ralph Davis, and, and I, this time I put the title of the book on here so I'd remember it. In his uh, wonderful book, Slogging among, Along the Paths of Righteousness, which everybody needs to get, uh, Ralph Davis says, David, uh, David, quote, is not claiming sinlessness, but steadfastness. He is not boasting of his perfection, but arguing for his consistency. He is saying he has been loyal, not impeccable, such consistency is important, of course, in its own right. I just want to emphasize that again as we read this. There's nothing wrong with simply saying to the Lord, Lord, you know that I was right. I tried and I was being, I was having, I was being consistent. I was, um, I, I, was, I did not transgress in this area that I'm being accused of or whatever the case is. Is that, everybody okay with that? You got that? Okay. So the second asking is in verses six through nine. I call upon you, for you will answer me. Now, same, almost same language as verse 1. Um, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, to, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me, do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So his second asking. So verse 1 and verse 8 fold together. Okay, I just mentioned that, but here you can see it. So verse 1, hear, attend, give ear. It just follows the same pattern. I call, incline your ear, hear. So verse 1 and verse 8 is coming back to the same thing. Hear my prayer. Hear me as I cry out about this situation. So what else is David desiring in the second set of askings? got to look at it verses six seven eight and nine what else is he asking what else is he uh desiring in the second set of askings well there's protection right blessing what way yes yes Yeah, I mean, you think about it. If you're being, I'm just using the accusation. It could be anything else. But if you're being falsely accused, you know, and it does get into your bones. And so that prayer, wondrously show your steadfast love, is almost a cry of, I'm feeling very unloved right this moment, Lord. Help me to know your covenant love. Wondrously show it. Okay? Does that make sense? I think that's really a good way to put that. What else is he, what else is he desiring? We talked about protection. Where did you see protection, John? Where did you see protection? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Keep me as the apple of your eye. That's all Old Testament language, by the way, from Deuteronomy. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. But we'll, uh, if we have time, we'll look at some of those. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Okay. Yeah. Yes, there's an anticipation of closeness. I mean, notice that he's not saying, you know, he just, you can tell from his words, he doesn't think that God is far, far away and pushing him away and saying, no, I'll have nothing to do with you, but that he can actually be approached. Just like the Shorter Catechism says, when we say our Father, you know, we're being reminded that we're 
children coming to a father who is able and ready to help us. Okay? So, any other connections here with Psalm 16 and that, that passage? I'm sorry? Okay, in what way? Ah. Yes, the refuge, refuge language, very good. In fact, it'd be a good study if you want to have fun. Go through and take your search engine or whatever you're using and look for refuge and that, that kind of picture language through the Psalms and see how often it comes up. It is all over the place. Okay? Yes. Yep. Which goes back to chapter 16, verse 11, or verse 10 and 11. Very good. All right, so how does he describe God? When you're looking at that passage, how does he describe God? He calls him what? Savior, rescuer, right? And then he's using that language about keeping me as the apple of your eye and so forth. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. This is um, the song of Moses. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. He found him, he found him, the Lord found Israel. He found him and in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He circled, encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Think about what's the apple of your eye? It's your pupil, really, right? What happens if I come up and poke your eye? What are you gonna do? You gonna let me poke your eye? Only if you're the three stooges. Right? Don't look at me that way. What do you do, though? If I come up at your eye, what are you going to do? Flinch, you're going to protect that apple of your eye. You're going to actually put your hand up. You're going to jerk back, right? It's that picture. Keep me as the apple of your eye. So close that you just knee-jerk reaction. You're protecting me, as it were, so to speak, right? So things like that. Um, And that's that language of Israel, God rescuing uh, and uh, bringing, it, bringing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into covenant with him, found him in the desert, um, and Israel as it's in its wilderness wandering, just how God is constantly there. So that language that God himself uses through Moses. And then uh, another place is later on in chapter Deuteronomy 32. I closed my Bible and lost my place. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39 See, see now that I, even I, am he, and there's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives with the long-haired head. Long-haired heads of the enemy. I love that phrase, okay? Um, more you could show, but there's, there's all that language in Deuteronomy that's flowing in. David knows his Bible, by the way. And it shows up here as well as he's looking at his askings here. Okay. So what are the adversaries doing? Violence, Okay. Doesn't say what kind, but it is violence, whatever it is, right? 
Yeah, multiple angles. Yeah. Yeah, being surrounded by the enemies doesn't have to always be physical. It can be, um, it can be institutional. It can be in social media. It can be all kinds of different ways that the enemy surrounds you. Okay? Just like everybody coming out of the woodwork come after him. So that's what the enemies, the adversaries are doing. And so you can understand why he's crying out and he's crying with intensity. Anybody ever been on the been caught in a group where everybody was opposed to everything you said or what you were saying and and you were you were fighting for your life it felt like you know so you can appreciate what he's driving at there all right so the serious adversity now he's going to take that and he's going to he's going to develop it more fully in verses 10 through 12 they close their hearts to pity with their mouths they speak arrogantly and they have now surrounded our steps They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. All right, so building from verse 9, David sketches out more details about the adversaries and the way he describes them here. Uh, What are some of the traits mentioned about the approaches of the adversaries? What's some of their, their traits? Arrogant and without pity. They close their hearts to pity. There's no mercy whatsoever. And they're arrogant. In fact, where does that arrogance come burbling forth from? Their mouths. Again, we're back to speech. Okay? And back to communication. What else? Or what are some other traits? Yeah, hard-hearted. Where do you see that? That's the hearts uh, with no pity. Yeah. Okay, what else? Uh, Wicked. Wicked, wicked, wicked. Where do you see wicked? Oh, that was verse 9. So we've already moved past that. But no, but this is developing verse 9, right? So he's unpacking and developing what he was just saying in verse 9. So here's more of how they've, they're doing violence and how they're surrounding him. So he comes back to the surrounding language again, verse 11. Surrounding, and what are they surrounding? Our steps. So do you notice, there's the steps language. So before, what did he say about steps back up in verse 5? Yeah, yeah, I've kept my steps sturdy on the path, right? But then what is the adversaries doing with regard to his steps? Circling around and... Yeah, seeking to throw, trip him up, right? Do a, do a little leg sweep or something, right? He's, that's what they're, they're after in doing that, okay? Yes. Be any or all of those things, or one or the other. Okay? But, uh, you know, it is a good picture. Um, yeah, but that's it, yeah. And it could be physical. Okay? Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about steps. I find it interesting, by the way, as I look at this the heart, the mouth, and the walk, they surround my, our steps, etc follows the same pattern as David's integrity earlier. We talked about earlier, the four areas, right? His heart, his words, and the way he lived. And so they're the, they're the anti, or they're the contrary version of what he's doing. He uses the same groups as he pull, pulls it out there, okay? So what image does he use in verse 11? Uh, what does that image conjure up in your mind, verse 11? I already talked about that. Set up uh, surrounding steps. 
set their eyes to cast us to the ground. Yeah? Looking to trip them up. Yes. Something, right? Something. So you see this going on, I mean, for example, you see this in the news, you see this on media all the time, where if you're a public official, don't say anything. Because whatever you say, cannon will be used against you. All three words of it or something, right? You know, they cut the whole video down to three words to damn you to hell. I mean, literally almost. And so anything you say will be used against you. That's their approach. Instead of being legitimate about it, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To cast you down, yes. Yeah. Yes. Very good. So how does their actions in verses... I already said this. We already talked about this. How do their actions in verses 10 through 12 veer David's in verses 3 through 5, but in a bad direction? So we already talked about that. The inward, the verbal, and the outward, right? Okay. Good. Any questions or anything else on this up to this point? All right, final cry, verses 13 to 14. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, O Yahweh, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. We'll talk about that last part of that verse in a minute. So the first part, so verse 13 through the first part of verse 14, what type of prayer is this? An imprecatory prayer. Notice that, arise, what are the two things? Confront and subdue. Okay? Arise, confront, and subdue. Okay? He didn't say, may they wriggle in agony so I can gloat over them. He's asking God to actually, as he's been doing since verse 1, hear a just cause. Vindicate me. Arise, confront, and subdue them. In other words, get them to shut their mouths and quit causing so much damage. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. As I showed two sunny, two sunny nights ago, that's even in Revelation 6 when the souls that are under the altar, the souls of the martyrs under the altar, there they are in heaven, and what are they crying out? How long, O Lord, until you reap justice, you heave out justice upon those who killed us? And God doesn't respond with, oh my goodness, I can't believe somebody ever actually asked that question. It's, he tells them, he gives them a white robe, so he's approving of them, and he says, wait a bit, there's more to the story, but it's going to happen. And you see it actually happen in Revelation when you get to chapter 8, Okay. There's nothing wrong with that kind of praying. So C.S. Lewis was wrong to be offended by the Psalms and declare they were not inspired because of imprecatory prayers. He and I would not be very happy with each other on this point. Okay? But this, this is legitimate. So how are David's appeals in verse 13 two sides of the same coin? What's he asking for? Think of it as two sides of the same coin. What's on the one side? two appeals here on the one side is what what's he asking verse 13 take care of them confront them subdue them what's the other side of the coin 
deliver me. Right? That's the whole, that's the aim. Right? Do this, and it will be part of my deliverance. Okay? So, how are the, the adversaries depicted in verse 14? I'm sorry? Men of the world. In fact, that's the language is uh, men of the world whose portion is in this life. Okay? So let's talk about the rest of verse 14, I think. The, the rest of verse 14 in the Hebrew is rather difficult. Everybody says it is, and I've looked at it, and it is. So much so that you will see it translated differently. So I notice the NIV actually turns the end of verse 14 into a prayer for God's people. Okay, instead of a prayer about the adversaries. I've seen, uh, I think it was the New American Standard or one of the other translations uh, went a different direction. They all, there's difficult, just know there's difficulty in translating that into Hebrew. Has anybody ever tried to translate Spanish into English? Or English into Spanish? I mean, it's difficult. Yes, yes. I mean, there are like idioms, there are phrases that just do not translate well. If you translate them literally, they don't make any sense in one language or the other. So then you have to try to figure out how to paraphrase it to get across, right? So it's difficult there. Uh, so you'll see it translated differently. Does anybody have, uh, anybody have the NIV? Anybody have the New American Standard? You have the New American Standard. Is it, what is it, how does it go? No, you don't? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, New American Standard, yeah. Yeah, keep going to the rest of the verse. Okay, that's good. No, so it stays with what, like the ESV is doing the same thing. That's good. I just want you to know and just be aware that you'll see in different translations it translated different, and there's a reason for it. It's not that the translators were compromising with whatever. It's the fact they were wrestling with a difficult passage to translate. But I think that the ESV is correct. I actually think it's in the ballpark of what the Hebrew is trying to get across. And if so, then the second half of verse 14 is not a prayer for the adversaries, and it's not a prayer for God's people, but it's actually descriptive of how the adversaries have turned God's common grace on its head by living only for their portion that is in this life, by enjoying the gifts, but not the giver of the gifts. So it's right there in the middle of verse 14, men of the world whose portion is in this life, here's an example you fill their womb, so this is God's common grace. You fill their womb with treasure, they're satisfied with children, and they'll leave their abundance to their infants. It's common grace. The, the God who smiles upon the just and the unjust and sends rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous, that common grace. And here they're obsessed with it, and they would rather have the gifts than the giver. Does that make sense? Okay. Which, when I say that phrase, it makes me want to go quote St. Augustine. So let me quote St. Augustine, Okay. Both of these are from two different sermons, one on Psalm 40 and one on Psalm 77. Quote, For many persons hope to obtain from God's hand riches and many perishable and transitory honors, and in short, anything else they hope to obtain at God's hand except only God himself. I want all your stuff, but I don't want you. Right? That's how he puts it. I think that's exactly what you see going on in that verse there. In another sermon he said, For an easy thing it is for a man to desire anything of the Lord and not to desire the Lord himself. As if, forsooth, 
Everybody should use the word forsooth. As if forsooth, that which he gives could be sweeter than himself that gives. And that's what they've obsessed on, the things he's given but not the giver. And that's the description that you see being unpacked there. Okay, any questions or anything up to this point? All right, firm conviction, verse 15. Here's how he ends. He's back to righteousness again. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So what is David's firm conviction? Yes, having the Lord is the best. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how does it, and you're going right down that road where I was going, so how does it compare to the adversaries? Look at what are the adversaries satisfied with? What will David be satisfied with? Isn't that interesting? The same word is used, two different focuses. What will the adversaries, what are they satisfied with? Yeah, yeah, they're satisfied with all these, the things, right? What is David satisfied with? Yes, I, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. When I awake, I'll be satisfied with your likeness. It's one reason I like John Piper, the Baptist preacher, because he ca- talks so much about uh, joy and satisfaction, and that's corrective, to stop and say, am I really satisfied with the Lord? Does he really satisfy me? Or is my heart really stingy and, you know, and all that stuff? I think it's a great way to be thinking about it. So, yeah, we just talked about satisfied, satisfied. So where is verse 15 gazing? Huh? In heaven? Do what? The future? Anybody else? Huh? Yeah? Yeah, it's actually gazing on God's face. Like Moses. Remember Numbers 12? When um, uh, Miriam and Aaron, they're all upset because Moses married... uh, 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 an Ethiopian woman. No, not was she Ethiopian? She was Ethiopian, huh? No, 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 no. This is Numbers 12. This is another gal. He, he married a couple of women. Sorry, he did. But it was a black woman. He married a North. He married an African woman. And so Miriam and Aaron are all upset with him and they, they confront him and they say, has God spoken through you only? And then God comes to Miriam and Aaron and he says to them, look, he's the only one I've spoken to face to face. And notice David's using that language here. I'm longing for that to speak with you and be with you face to face. So his pleasure, his satisfaction is in the Lord himself, being with the Lord. Remember this, heaven is not a great golf course in the sky. It's not the wonderful greatest hunting ground ever. Heaven is not heaven if God ain't there. Yeah, I knew, it. I knew that's what you meant. Yes. Yeah. 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 But he gave me a chance to preach my little sermon here, so. Yes. 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 Yep. Sure. Yeah. Very good. And so also, noticing that language, it fits in with the last part of Psalm 16, still talking about Christ's resurrection, so there is this connection. 
You'll not leave, abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? And so with Christ, that's what we look forward to. You know, His resurrection is the, for, is the for, uh, first fruits of our resurrection. So we long for that day when we too will be raised, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, no longer subject to misery or mortality. But there's more to do so and to be forever before the face of God. And that's what David is looking, that's his gaze where he's headed and looking. All right, anything else on the psalm? Let me wrap this up. Um, any, anybody have any questions or anything? Is it Greg? I think what Greg said is right, is that David, he said it earlier, that David brings his complaint to the Lord because that's the only one who can, deal, who can do it, can bring the vindication, right? What's interesting is that there's very few psalms. Psalm 22 is one of them, which we'll get to someday. Uh, but there's a couple of psalms where there's actually an answer where you see that God has answered that psalm and that prayer. But most of the psalms, you don't have verse 16 and God answered his prayer and brought about his vindication, and everybody lived happily ever after. Right? There's, which I find helpful. There's not that answer that, that what we would consider the answer is not there. Now, it may have happened in his lifetime, which if you, all you have to do is read David's life, and you see sort of, yeah, kind of, you know, circular, circular and stuff. But yeah, but I just find that very comforting that very, you know, in the Psalms, there's all these cries. And only a few of them do you, does it specifically point out that God has actually answered and there's a turn in my life here. But most of the time, there's no addendum to it to tell you how it happened. Good, okay, so we don't know what the actual situation was when David wrote the psalm, but we do know this. David was praying for himself, but David was also the king representing his people. So keep those always in mind. So that gives you the sense of Jesus, by the way, because David was Messiah. He was Hamashiach, the anointed one. So he's Messiah, and he is in, in persona Christi, as we talked about last week, in the person of Christ. Many of these prayers are, are, um, these prayers are in the person of Christ as well. So he is representing his people. So in a sense, you can read Psalm 17 and go, Jesus is praying that for us in our situation. Right? Remember Hebrews 7, he's always ever interceding for us. He ever lives to intercede for us, he will save us to the uttermost because he ever lives to intercede for us. Okay? But also the psalm is included in the communal hymn book, the Psalter, and it's there for all of God's people to sing and to pray. Okay? It's intended for us 
to follow this path and, and to use things like this, this psalm as prayer. Therefore, there may be times when you have been attacked and need to cry out to God for vindication. So this psalm is a good springboard to launch out in prayer. But even if you're not in any need at this moment of that, of Psalm 17, you can employ the psalm on behalf of others. Because not only are we saved from hell, we are saved to also be a body, right? And we're saved to intercede to pray for brothers and sisters. Romans 8, we've even been given a promise that the Spirit swells up in us and groans in us, praying for the saints, things that we don't even know they need. And Jesus prays with us as well. I always love this image. The Spirit's interceding. Jesus is interceding. What more should I need? I need to be interceding, right? And so Psalm 17 is a prayer to be praying on behalf of brothers and sisters in, in tough situations, maybe here in the U.S., maybe in foreign countries, praying for them. Psalm 17. Well, you know, hear a just cry. You know the righteous cause. You know, they're, rise up and confront and subdue their adversaries for crying out loud. Right? And so even if you can't, if you don't need to pray Psalm 17 for yourself, there are brothers and sisters who need you to pray it for them. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Any anybody else in Psalm seventeen? Okay. Tonight, by the way, tonight uh, we're going to be doing uh, our next part in uh, prayer series in prayer this evening at six, and we're going to talk about the results of prayer. It kind of wraps up into some of this that we just picked up in Psalm seventeen. I hope everybody comes. You know, that'll be tonight at six. So, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you delight to hear us cry out to you when we're hurting, when we're in need, when we're being wrongly accused, when we're being prosecuted, to cry out to you. Thank you that you love to have us draw near to you. Help us, Lord, to find in you our satisfaction. Have a foretaste of it now in this life. Oh, but Lord, to have a great anticipation for that day when Jesus returns and we rise from the dead and we find our satisfaction with you forever and see you face to face. Lord, thank you that that way has been opened for us through your Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, by whom alone we can come to, to you, O Father. And so now, Lord, be with us as we get ready to enter the assembly to worship you. We pray for your Spirit to fill us, your interceding Spirit to fill us and make us praying people and that you, you're our Lord Jesus would draw us close that we may adore you and revel in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.